This episode contains descriptions of graphic body horror. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The following is an excerpt from Robert Louis Stevenson's The Body Snatcher, in which Stevenson describes the strange policies of a Scottish medical school. In that large and busy class, the raw material of the anatomists kept perpetually running out, and the business thus rendered necessary was not only unpleasant in itself, but threatened dangerous consequences to all who were concerned. It was the policy of Mr. K to ask no questions in his dealings with the trade. They bring the body, and we pay the price, he used to say, dwelling on the alliteration quid pro quo. And again, and somewhat profanely, ask no questions, he would tell his assistants, for conscience' sake. There was no understanding that the subjects were provided by the crime of murder. Had that idea been broached to him in words, he would have recoiled in horror. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's tale, The Body Snatcher, comes from the Scottish writer Robert Louis Stevenson, best known for stories like The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Treasure Island. First published as a Christmas ghost story in 1884, The Body Snatcher shares the wit, thrills, and chills the writer was known for. But the scariest thing about The Body Snatcher is that it's based on a true story. Coming up, we'll meet the Resurrection Men. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 
When Fetis found the coffin empty, he wasn't stunned, just annoyed. His hands were caked in dirt and splinters, and he'd spent an hour and a half trying to dig this corpse up with no reward for his efforts. When he'd received word two hours ago that there was a freshly buried body without a family, he'd jumped at the opportunity. But now it seemed he'd arrived too late. He wondered which of the other surgery students had gotten there first. Munro's boys, maybe. Or perhaps it was real resurrection men, professional grave robbers. Either way, Fetis knew Dr. McFarlane would never forgive him for showing up empty-handed. He'd lose his stipend and his position as the man's assistant. Fetis sighed and hoisted himself out of the grave. Their medical school lab was always running out of dissection specimens, and the problem had only gotten worse since his superior, the anatomist Dr. Knox, was caught buying cadavers from the infamous serial killers known as Burke and Hare. After Dr. Knox was forced to resign, Associate Professor Dr. Wolf McFarlane had become his successor. Fetis wasn't sure if McFarlane had worked with the killers, but he seemed just as horrified as Fetis was about the situation. He insisted that their grave robbing was different, a victimless crime, an act of mercy and science. Their work meant better doctors and less suffering for the living. Fetis clung to that knowledge as he covered up the hole and said a prayer for the lost soul who'd ended up in someone else's hands. He didn't see any other new graves. No one here would be fresh enough for their kind of work. So he trudged defeatedly to the Crested Falcon Inn to deliver the bad news. Fetis drank in the signs of life at the inn's pub. The cheering crowds, the band playing in the corner, the smell of beer wasn't exactly pleasant, but it beat the stench of a graveyard. Dr. McFarlane was sitting at a table in the back. He had a shocking streak of white-gray hair that fell over his glasses. Unusual for a man in his early 30s. Students joked that he must have witnessed something horrific to turn his hair gray. Fetis sat across from him, nervous. In the six months he'd been carrying out these assignments, this problem had never come up. Fetis blurted out the words before he could lose his confidence. Body wasn't there. McFarlane didn't answer, but Fetis could see the gears in his mind turning. Then his contemplation turned to contempt. Fetis braced for humiliation. But then another man sat at the table and set down two pint glasses. The newcomer nodded to McFarlane. Toddy! Who's your friend? McFarlane's face turned friendly. Fetis had never seen him look so cheery as he said, Gray, this is my assistant at the university. Fetis, meet Gray, a dear old friend, though you won't be much longer if you keep calling me Toddy. Gray laughed. Don't turn your scalpel on me, Toddy, just because I knew you way back when. McFarlane grumbled in protest, but it was clear Gray only meant it in jest. Gray had warm blonde hair and green eyes. He was roguish, but charmingly so, a man of the people. Fetis hoped he'd stick around. He did not want to think of what McFarlane would say about the body situation once Gray left. 
so Fetis forced his own merriment. Oh no, we're much kinder, Mr. Grey. If we dislike a friend, we wait until he's dead to dissect him. Grey and Fetis shared a loud laugh at that. McFarlane got up to get more drinks. The longer they spent drinking, the more Fetis liked Grey. But McFarlane seemed to be liking his old friend less and less. The apparently abhorrent nickname of Toddy kept coming up, and Grey suggested McFarlane could borrow his name instead on account of the color of his hair. It all seemed funny to Fetis, who needed a distraction from the missing body and the end of his career. But McFarlane wasn't laughing, and his meek protests were tinged with a country accent that Fetis hadn't heard before. He clearly worked hard at hiding it. At the end of the night, McFarlane asked if they could tour Gray's room upstairs. He was curious about the pub's accommodations. Fetis started to say his goodnight when McFarlane asked him to join them. Gray was drunk, swaying back and forth as they climbed the stairs toward his room. McFarlane took up the rear, leaving Fetis in between them. He sent a questioning look at McFarlane, but the doctor ignored him. Gray unlocked his door and gave a sweeping gesture to introduce his room. A joke, of course, since it was cramped with a small bed and a basin of water. McFarlane stood with his back to the door. He jerked his head at Fetty's. Make use of the basin. Fetty's wasn't sure what he meant, but perhaps McFarlane thought his drunken friend would become sick. So Fetty's handed the cream-colored bowl to his superior. Gray was muttering inanely as he made his way to bed. Then the drunkard lifted his eyes to McFarlane. Do settle my tab down, Starus. Since you're a mighty doctor now, I'm sure you can cover an old friend from the Mokhtori. This remark made McFarlane's grip tighten on the basin, his knuckles turning white. A growl rumbled in his throat. Fetty's turned to the door, wanting to escape the tension. Then he heard the horrible sound of the basin crack against Gray's skull. Gray tumbled to the ground, his head bent at an angle that indicated he would never stand again. Fetty stood, mouth agape, as McFarlane dropped down to his side. At first, Fetty's thought there'd been some horrible accident, but then he realized McFarlane was measuring Gray's limbs. He gestured to the trunk in the corner. Come along now, Fetty's. We need him fresh and undamaged. Fetty's could only stammer in confusion. McFarlane sighed. You made that joke downstairs. Did you really believe that Burke and Hare just found one dead drunk every two weeks? You're a very poor scientist, if so. Fetty's face went red, then white. But why? McFarlane didn't look up from his work as he muttered, because you couldn't produce a specimen. And my name is not Toddy. McFarlane heaved the body onto the bed and told Fetty's to check the hall for witnesses. He had the same cheery look again when he marveled at Gray's body. He said it would be the freshest corpse the lab had ever dissected. Fetty's reminded himself that he hadn't killed Gray, and since he couldn't save the man, he might as well save his own career. That sentiment allowed him to check that the stairs were empty so that he could make an escape. 
When he came back in, McFarlane was stuffing Gray's body into the man's own travel trunk. Fetty's nearly fainted. Gray's cold green eyes were fixed on Fetty's. The dead man peeked out from the rim of the trunk, like a mischievous toddler playing a game. Then, Gray blinked. Fetty's called out in panic. He's alive! McFarlane rushed up to clap a hand over the subordinate's mouth. He most certainly is not. I checked three times. Now, get him in the trunk. McFarlane went to check the door again, leaving Fetty's alone with the trunk. Gray's body slumped half in the box. Fetty stared into his glassy eyes. Then, Gray smiled. He lifted his absurdly bent frame out of the trunk, his head still lolling at a horrific angle. His skin had turned ashen and his friendly green eyes had turned sickly yellow. The dead man fixed his gaze on Fetty's and staggered toward him. Coming up next, Gray takes his retribution. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loey, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Dr. McFarlane clapped his hands over Fetty's screaming mouth and turned him around. What's come over you, man? Gray is dead. Come on now. We've got to get the body back to the lab. Fetty's couldn't believe his superior. He had seen the supposedly dead man clamber out of the travel trunk McFarlane had put him in. And now the monster was advancing on them. They needed to run. But when McFarlane jerked Fetty's head back to face the horrible sight, Gray's body laid limp and broken in the trunk. It was impossible. And yet, so was believing that Gray could survive the horrible blow he'd endured from his old friend McFarlane. 
Satisfied that he'd made his point, McFarlane told Fetties to return to work. Fetties nervously shut the trunk's lid, hoisted it onto his back, and headed down the stairs. The university's anatomy amphitheater had never bothered Fetties before. He'd found it peaceful, even. But he'd never personally known one of their specimens, and he'd certainly never been a party to their murder. The next day in class, he could barely look at Gray's body without feeling sick. This did not go unnoticed by Dr. McFarlane, who decided the best way for Fetties to get past his fears was for him to lead the lesson. Fetties walked almost trembling to the operating table. He tried to avoid Gray's face, instead keeping his eyes trained on his gaping chest cavity as he rooted around and removed Gray's organs. He weighed each one and showed them to the students, telling himself that each cut made Gray less likely to revive. But then it came time to remove the head. A bone saw sat at the ready, and this time, Fetties couldn't avoid Gray's face. He looked serene, his neck carefully snapped back into the correct position by McFarlane. Fetties held the serrated blade just above Gray's throat. The dead man's eyelids fluttered open, sickly yellow irises glowing under the searing white amphitheater lights, and he smiled. Fetties leapt backward. He looked up at the classroom, his heart pounding against his chest, but no one else seemed to see what he could. His fingers itched to shut the cadaver's eyes, but he was certain that Gray would bite his fingers off if he got too close. He barely heard McFarlane as the doctor ripped the bone saw from his hands and told Fetties to get out of his sight. After class, Fetties went to the pub. He went to the pub a lot that week, and he didn't come in to work. McFarlane didn't inquire. Until one rain-soaked night. Fetties was alone in his small attic room in the university housing building when McFarlane let himself in. He wasted no time with greetings. Body fell through. We'll have less than an hour to clean the next one or there'll be nothing ready for class. And it's out of town. Gotta move on. Fetties got the sense that if he didn't help, he'd be on the dissection table. Still, he shook his head, his night of drinking making him braver than he would have been. I didn't know how you found out about this body. I'm done. I'll go to the police. McFarlane just laughed. <laughs> you have no proof of wrongdoing. Gray had no family and that corpse was dissected in front of a class of 30 who saw nothing amiss, aside from your erratic behavior. Listen, this is the last time. If you come with me and agree not to say a word, I'll write you a recommendation in the morning to go to any school you like, even London. Fetties would have been happy to live the rest of his life as a doctor in his beloved Scotland. But Edinburgh now belonged to McFarlane. London could be his last chance to escape, to forget. So he nodded. One more. McFarlane didn't say a word as they rode a horse-drawn cart through the sleeping streets of Edinburgh and out into the countryside. Fetties eyed the shovels, the lanterns, and the canvas bag for transporting the body. 
He was alone with his morbid thoughts until he got up the nerve to ask, Who is it this time? McFarlane nearly barked his reply. Farmer's wife. Died in childbirth or the like. A good find, even if she's nine miles away in Glencourse. Fetty's shivered again. He'd been raised in the city. He had no affinity for the countryside and its dark forest roads. When they arrived at Glencore Cemetery and hauled their supplies off the cart, Fetty's said a prayer. Although he wasn't sure God much cared for his prayers these days, he had spent his life around death, but it was only after Gray's murder that he began to wonder what happened to the soul when he cut up a body. The thought sent a chill up his spine as he followed McFarlane's lantern. Like an imp leading them to their doom, the light ambled through the darkness as they searched for freshly turned earth. Near the edge of a cliff stood the fresh grave of Amelia Parks, beloved wife and hopeful mother. The years had not been engraved on the stone, so Fetty's asked McFarlane how old the woman had been. McFarlane gave no answer. As they shoveled dirt from the grave, the earth seemed to breathe and writhe beneath their feet, but Fetty's knew from experience that that was only the panic of the worms and beetles as they tried to flee the shovel's blade. His arms ached, but he continued on. The hollow thunk of Fetty's shovel hitting wood echoed like a gunshot. McFarlane gave him an expectant look. Fetty's reluctantly dug his fingernails around the coffin to find the opening. For once, Fetty's hoped for an empty grave. But fate was cruel, and Amelia's frail form waited patiently for them below. She couldn't have been dead for long. Her face was still round, rosy even, and a bouquet of posies had been placed in her hands. McFarlane ripped the flowers from her fist and tossed them to the side before pulling the canvas bag down into the grave. Fetty's took great care with her slight frame, gently easing her body into the bag. She was thin but tall, like a delicate river reed. Fetty's climbed out of the grave so McFarlane could lift the body toward him. As Fetty's pulled Amelia up, his foot stumbled over a soft patch of dirt. He took two steps backwards, accidentally kicking the lantern. It tumbled off the edge of the small cliff, plunging the graveyard into darkness. McFarlane told him not to worry. They had one unlit lantern left, but they didn't need it. He knew the path like the back of his hand. Fetty's wondered if this was the countryside where McFarlane and Gray had come from, the home McFarlane was so ashamed of. Perhaps they had known Amelia when she was small. Perhaps that same graveyard was McFarlane's first anatomy lab. McFarlane tasked Fetty's with carrying Amelia while he carried the supplies. Fetty's could feel the cold from the woman's corpse through the thick canvas material as they moved her to the cart. McFarlane mounted the seat and Fetty's lifted the body up to lean against him while he climbed up. The cart was too small for the body, so they had to keep the canvas propped between them as they drove. Fetty's was glad for the darkness now. Neither man spoke as the cart trundled along the forest road with Amelia's corpse in between them. As much as Fetty's didn't want to think about her, he couldn't ignore her weight pressed against him. He did his best to reposition the body, 
but it seemed to fight him. Even though she'd been a slip of a woman, Amelia's corpse was somehow heavier. Fetty's strained to lift the body. He asked McFarlane to help, but the doctor ignored him. Fetty's did his best on his own, but the corpse slipped from his numb hands and went straight into McFarlane's lap. McFarlane tried to keep his eyes on the road as he struggled to push the top half of the body off of him. Fetty's wanted to assist, but he couldn't help but think about how much lighter the corpse was just moments ago. He shared a look with McFarlane, who finally betrayed a hint of emotion. His lip trembled, and Fetty's was relieved to see that his mentor was scared too. As they placed the corpse back in its spot, Fetty's realized it took up even more room. He shot a nervous glance at McFarlane, who wordlessly handed him the reins so he could examine the body. McFarlane measured the width of the chest with his shaking hand. He came to a number, then counted again. It was clear he didn't like the number. McFarlane commanded, Pass me the lantern. Fetties, please. It was the fear in McFarlane's voice that prompted Fetties to move. He drew the lantern from the back and handed it over, still trying to keep an eye on the road. McFarlane struck a match. A flame emanated from the glass, fighting the immensity of the dark forest. It illuminated McFarlane's face, exposing a vulnerability Fetties hadn't seen since that horrible night in the pub. It couldn't be regret, could it? Fetties hadn't the nerve to ask, so he simply watched as McFarlane slipped the canvas cloth down from Amelia's head. Fetties felt his stomach drop as he saw that the woman's brown hair had been replaced by a soft blonde. He wanted to scream at McFarlane to stop, but the doctor continued to pull away the fabric. Two yellow-green eyes looked straight at him. But the worst part was those smiling lips. Gray's corpse sat between them, as though it hadn't been dissected at all. As if sensing their master's panic, the horses sped up and the cart careened, tossing around Gray's body. But it looked as though Gray was throwing himself about. Fetty's told himself that it was a dream or a trick of his guilty conscience. But then the lantern swayed just enough for him to see McFarlane's face. The man was as pale as death, eyes widening beyond panic into something more primal, a desperate urge to run. McFarlane turned and leapt from the bench, abandoning Fetty's in the cart. The lantern still swung beside Gray as the canvas fell down further, all the way down to the dead man's waist. Fetty's couldn't contain his scream as Gray freed his arms from the fabric and grabbed the reins. He gave Fetty's a friendly smile, head still bent at an absurd angle. Then Gray spoke. I think I'll call you Fetty. Now, let's go for a ride. At first glance, the body snatcher feels more like an urban legend than actual history. Two grave robbers, or resurrection men, are confronted by their own misdeeds when the body of their murder victim replaces their new cadaver. 
It's true that author Robert Louis Stevenson did hear this supernatural tale from his landlady, Mrs. Sim, in the village of Pitlochry, Scotland, in 1881. But who understands the powerful cultural memory this legend tapped into, you need to know about Edinburgh. In the early 19th century, Edinburgh, Scotland was arguably the center of anatomical study in Europe. But this new realm of scientific discovery demanded a constant supply of fresh cadavers, and legal means of obtaining them were far too slow. This is where resurrection men came into play. Grave robbing was a lucrative industry at the time, and their biggest clients were universities who often turned a blind eye toward how the bodies were supplied. But while many anatomy lecturers did their best to ignore the origins of their specimens, one name became synonymous with the dark truth. A man Robert Louis Stevenson called Mr. K. It was Dr. Robert Knox and his assistants who accepted corpses from the serial killers William Berg and William Hare between 1827 and 1828, offering the murderous duo between seven and ten pounds per body. The killer's common-law wives helped them get their victims drunk before the two men suffocated them, creating the appearance of a natural death. Burke and Hare killed at least 16 people over a year and were only stopped when the Burke's lodgers, Anne and James Gray, found a corpse in their room. Stevenson borrowed the name of the judgmental visitor for his story, but he was less interested in the penny-dreadful elements of the tale than in its questions of morality. The original story indicates that both men, Fetties and Dr. McFarlane, survive their ordeal on the road to Edinburgh, but they remain forever linked by guilt and shame. It is not enough, Stevenson suggests, to intend to do the right thing. You must actually do it, or it will haunt you forever. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. For more on William Burke and William Hare, check out our episodes on them in Serial Killers and Medical Murders. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Dorita and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs>